welcome to episode 111 of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Cavana, joined as always by David Smith. On this episode, we're looking at the home stretch right before the cup playoffs, five races to get something done, and an interesting stretch of tracks to make it happen. To help us out, RJ Kraft from NASCAR.com, that plus our big New Hampshire preview. But first, as always, we start with a look back. This is episode 111 of the pod, so we're taking a quick look back at the origins of the number 11 FedEx car at Joe Gibbs Racing. Of course, now it's a Toyota, but David, it started as a Monte Carlo, and we we know the 11 car is Denny Hamlin's car, but that's not how it started. The team's first season was 2005, and it featured driver Jason Leffler, crew chief Dave Rogers, but how the team was assembled and was unique, and for its first year, saw both the driver and crew chief removed from their jobs before the season ended. And again, David, we we think of the 11 car and we think of almost nothing but Denny Hamlin. But it it wasn't always that way, albeit for a brief period of time. Yeah, let's think about uh, back about this. What's the one common denominator of this team since its inception? The sponsor. Yeah. FedEx. Unbelievable. In 1999, Alan, we're going to go back a little bit further. FedEx purchased the naming rights for the stadium in which Washington, D.C.'s NFL team plays. And wouldn't you know it, between 2004 and 2007, Joe Gibbs was the head coach of that team. And that is where the relationship between FedEx and Joe Gibbs began. Look at you. FedEx was not, this is really interesting because we don't see this hardly ever anymore. They were not sold on any one driver. They were not paired with a driver. They were not promised a certain driver. They bought into what Joe Gibbs and JGR was doing on the racetrack. They had two showpieces, Bobby Labonte, Tony Stewart, both champions. And FedEx had seen enough. They were ready to enter NASCAR, and they agreed to sponsor a car without a driver picked out. That driver, after Ricky Craven and J.J. Yaley were considered, Hmm. turned out to be Jason Leffler. The crew chief, as you said, Dave Rogers, and this team out of the gate struggled mightily. Through the first 11 races, They secured just one finish better than 22nd, and rock bottom came at the Coca-Cola 600. Leffler did not qualify for the race. They missed the show completely, but JGR took the FedEx branding. They placed a last-minute wrap on Bobby Labonte's car. Oddly enough, Bobby Labonte nearly won that race. Uh, he, he lost it at the start finish line uh, to Jimmy Johnson. Uh, but that was probably the most memorable FedEx memory of that entire <laughs> year was being on the 18 car. After that Charlotte weekend, Dave Rogers was demoted. That was not the last that we would see of Dave Rogers. He went on to resurrect his career. He was Joey Logano's initial crew chief uh, with all that hype uh, coming into the Xfinity series. They were pretty much instant race winners. Uh, and then Dave Rogers moved to Kyle Busch and Carl Edwards uh, and and has had a variety of other roles still at JGR. 
Jason Leffler lasted 19 races. He averaged a finish of 27.5. His peer for that stretch was a negative 0.539. Not great at all. (laughs) But, but... He went on to uh, sort of find a, a niche for himself in the Xfinity series. He found a home at Braun Racing. I mean, that the, the, that team and his personality went together very well. Uh, he also ventured back to the dirt world uh, where he ran midgets and sprint cars. Uh, and it was actually, it was on dirt where he was uh, tragically killed in, uh, in 2013. But uh, the, the team... After Leffler's dismissal pressed forward, and this was something that was really unique and not not to root for anyone's firing, but I would love to see a real time live race tryout like the one that we saw JGR put on for the second half of this season. They they use the rest of the year as an audition for JJ Yaley or Denny Hamlin to get this ride for 2006 Hamlin won the tryout. That much is that much is clear. He had three top ten finishes yeah. and seven starts. That, that's his, something I didn't remember. Looking at these stats, seven yeah. races he had. An, I mean, everyone remembers his breakout of two thousand six because you yep. know he, rookie won races. But in seven races in two thousand five, I didn't remember this at all. Three top tens and a pole. Like wow, for a young driver, as you said, auditioning for a ride. We don't see that at all in Cup Series anymore. No, he showed out, and his peer that year for that partial cup season was a 2.464. That ranked fourth overall. A guy He hadn't even won in the Xfinity Series, and then comes into the Cup Series and produces like that. That was incredible. The poll that you mentioned, that was a crucial poll win. It came at Phoenix, and that put him in the next season's Bud Shootout at Daytona, a race he won. Yes. And that was uh, the beginning of, I'll call it a dynasty, 44 wins for Hamlin in the 11 car over the last 16 years with FedEx as the anchor sponsor. Interesting how you weaved all that together. That That is really uh, crazy to think back on, especially that poll again, yeah, which put him into that shootout. Interesting. Uh, one note about Leffler, though. You know, we know what it was in hindsight. But I think we have to put it in perspective. I mean, Jason Leffler was a successful USAC racer. We're coming in this era of Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Casey Kane, Ryan Newman. So, again, we know what the results were. But at the time, was Jason Leffler a bad pick? How how would you put that into perspective in terms of the the timing and the framing of it? it? This was a weird era of NASCAR where there may have been more good cars than there was, we'll say, winning talent. Leffler was a convenient choice. He was already under contract for JGR. He was running for them in what is now the Xfinity series. So it was a little bit devil you know. It really isn't unlike Hendrick Motorsports eyeballing Alex Bowman because they're familiar with him because he's their test driver and he's doing their their simulation testing and giving him an opportunity. It's the same here. It just did not work out. And if you pair that with Dave Rogers, who, I mean, he may have been ill-prepared. Again, he, he redeemed himself later on. Um, that was just a, a tough start 
to that campaign for this car that was bringing in a ton of revenue with <laughs> FedEx as a sponsor. And there probably were expectations because, again, they weren't sold on a driver. So it allowed JGR this very rare flexibility to put whoever they wanted. There just there wasn't anyone readily available, um, free of a contract. It just didn't materialize like that. But because of that flexibility, they were able to put, you know, two, uh, two of their other Xfinity drivers, Hamlin and Yaley in the car, just to see what they did. Yaley did get the, the 18 car uh, promotion the next year. It just wasn't the funded team, uh, the FedEx team, which uh, was raised within the hierarchy immediately when that first check came, but kind of a cool, uh, just a cool thing that they, they ended up doing, because they were allowed to do it. And um, if I can, uh, a word on uh, Leffler, because uh, I worked at Spire uh, many lifetimes ago uh, and with Leffler kind of hand in hand um, a little before the 2013 uh, year in which he was he was killed. And there were a few times after Xfinity series races when he was at Braun racing that I was his ride from the private airport. And we would uh, just talk in the car about all forms of racing and and really kind of just sit back and break it all down. And he was very much a fan first and foremost And our listeners need to understand how rare it is that you get a race car driver to be complimentary of any other race car driver. That doesn't happen. But hearing Leffler talk about a lot of the young drivers, because he raced against a lot of them, and uh, he he played close attention to open wheel dirt, so he knew a lot coming up. He he knew of Kyle Larson, um, drivers like that. He was happy that there were young drivers doing really cool things at younger ages than he ever did. Um, And he appreciated it, even if it meant that some of these drivers would probably put him out of a job one day. So um, it it did not work out in the Cup Series for him, but he was uh, not only a true racer at heart, but really a, a fan of the sport with this kind of um, underappreciated optimism for the sport at large. I mean, the, there, there was nothing cynical about him. He, he, he knew what he had was kind of rare, but he also celebrated those that also had talent and, and kind of just sort of one of a kind, Jason Leffler. Good stuff. Good insight on many levels. Episode 111 of Positive Regression, looking back on the 11 car of Joe Gibbs Racing and its origins. Great start to the episode. When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, 
Anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's get it started. As promised, we have a guest this week, David. It is RJ Kraft, famed writer from NASCAR.com. Helpful with all your fantasy tips and insight, everything you want to need uh, when setting that fantasy lineup. So RJ, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. This is like second or third appearance. This is this is an honor. Yeah, it's Hall of Fame guest territory for this podcast. <laughs> so thank you for, for joining us once again. And for, for this episode, right, we're going to look at, look, there are five races remaining before the playoffs. And we saw what one win could do last week, right? Kurt Busch, some, Kurt Busch, uh, you know, pulled the Kurt Busch, locked himself in when he, you know, he was in the midst of a points battle there. So what we're going to do here, RJ, with your help and David, of course, is look at the five races remaining before the playoffs and just try to figure out which winless or cut line drivers have the best shots of pulling a Kurt Busch and then locking themselves in and more specifically where it could happen. So let's start out with this weekend, or really the first of the two normal tracks that are left out of the five, right? The two ovals, New Hampshire and Michigan. You would think Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick are logical choices, you know, winless drivers to go out there and get victories. But is there anyone else we should be concerning ourselves with? David, I'll let you go first. Yeah, it's a, that, that's a, just a tough proposition. Even to say that if you pull a Kurt Busch, I mean, what Kurt Busch did last week was rather impressive. It was the fastest car on a mile and a half track and went out and it was a dominant, resounding victory for him. You would think that it's Hamlin and Harvick, especially at tracks like New Hampshire and Michigan. But I found two drivers that interest me for the quote unquote normal tracks. And the first one, RJ, I, I hope you agree with this one, Eric Almarola. For one, his history at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, pretty good and and not entirely exclusive to Stuart Haas. He had uh, a pair of top six finishes when he drove for Richard Petty Motorsports. And in addition to that, his last three finishes, all as Stuart Haas, were third, 11th, and 7th. As for Michigan... That is a track that just begs for raw speed. Two-mile track, it requires a lot going right with the car. And I don't know, because we've seen SHR bring speed to a lot of the recent tracks. Nashville comes to mind, but I don't know which SHR is going to show up at Michigan. But the organization's history suggests that this is a track uh, where they have a knack for it, uh, not only in terms of results, but for speed. Clint Boyer was fast there. Kevin Harvick won races there. Almarola has had fast cars there in the past. And, and that's, that, that, that is a place where realistically, if SHR hits right, they can go out and have themselves a good day and potentially a shock win. Uh, the other driver, Matt DiBenedetto, I think Michigan a positive showing there is possible, but it is a, it's a tall ask. Um, but New Hampshire is not his last two finishes. There were fifth for Levine family racing and sixth last season, his first year with wood brothers. And if we recall how Penske cars fared at New Hampshire last year, Brad Keselowski won the race 
this fits into the wheelhouse of what the organization is attempting to do well. For De Benedetto specifically, this might hurt a little bit. As I wrote last week for NBC Sports, he's more of a 550 guy as opposed to a 750 guy, but his biggest strength is restarts. And New Hampshire had 20 of those suckers across the last two races. I, uh, I I agree with you full throttle on Di Benedetto for New Hampshire. Uh, I, I can't get with you on Amarola just because it, the juju is just not good with that team this year. <laughs> okay. Um, but I mean, I, I had in my notes when we were, when I was getting ready, I, I had you pegged to pick him uh, based on the 750 medium lap time and, and some of his New Hampshire numbers. I'm going to move over to Michigan a little bit. I don't know if it would be a shock since both these guys are technically in the field but don't have wins, but I could see the RCR cars pulling the Kurt Busch. Uh, at Michigan mm. and showing up. Um, RJ, I had and, him on my list. That was my follow-up. What about Tyler Reddick? So I'm glad you brought him up. That's that's my guy. Like <laughs> that's my <laughs> guy in fantasy. Um, I they've got the speed. Is it the is it the elite Hendrick level speed? Probably not. But you get a couple wonky things. Maybe a fuel mileage thing. Which with the Situation Room War Room they have going on. I mean, they made it work at Texas uh, last year. Dylan's made it work for uh, Charlotte in 17. I, they would be my pick. Now, I I realize, again, they're inside the cut line, so it might not be a quote-unquote outside winner, but, but I would go with them. You know, that's – so, okay, so what you just said is interesting. They are inside the cut line right now. RJ, I mean, just because you look at stage points and things like that from a fantasy perspective, what is playing it safe for them? Do do they just rack up the low-hanging points, or can they actually shoot for a win? Because when I think of Road America, Tyler Reddick left Road America with the most points in that race, even though he didn't win it. It was a good points day. It still did not net him an automatic playoff berth. Uh, I think in the case, this is going to sound a little weird. I think Reddick and Dylan should almost be competing with each other at this point to kind of protect the each protect themselves from if they get a wild card winner. I mean, I think the gap between the two of them is seven or eight points yeah. going into this weekend. I, I if I was Reddick, I wouldn't change anything. He seemed they seem to have found something. They seem to be running a little more consistently in the top ten. If I was the eight team, I'd stick with the low hanging fruit of going after stage points, especially on road courses. When your teammate has admittedly struggled on that track type and you're at a huge advantage uh, when it comes to road courses. So if I was Redick, I would stay all in on the stage point game. Dylan is just kind of just kind of creeps around the top 10 to 12 every week. Like you look up and he's running ninth. You look up and he's running 10th. Uh, and, you know, a couple years ago when Newman made the playoffs, he basically top 10 and top 15 himself to death to get in. And that, that's what Dylan's doing, and it's working for them. And if we don't get another winner, they'll be fine. I don't think they have – I feel better about Reddick potentially getting the win than Dylan, but I, I I would argue the three shouldn't change much either. The top 10 to 15 strategies working for them. 
Absolutely. You mentioned Reddick and his road course prowess, uh, his speed, especially, you know, we saw it at Coda. So let, let's keep on that, right? We just talked about New Hampshire and Mich- Mich- New Hampshire and Michigan, the, the quote unquote normal track. Let's talk about the road courses that remain before the playoffs. Indianapolis and Watkins Glen. Um, you know, they haven't proven. We talked about this on a previous episode, but the, these road courses haven't proven to be, you know, the wild cards we, we thought they could be, right? But is there anyone close to at least breaking through that could realistically win at either one of those tracks? RJ, I'll let you go first. So I'm going to preface this by saying I view the Watkins Glen race as the Chase Elliott, Martin Truex Jr. Invitational. And so I'm, I'm staying away from a wild card there. I, I think it's going to be Elliott or Truex. I think Indy presents an opportunity um, for a number of guys in part because we're going to have practice. We're going to have qualifying. We've seen at Coda. And at Road America, we get, I don't know if I'd call them surprises at this point, but at the time they felt like surprises with how some guys qualified in the top 10 to 12. Uh, And one of the names that just really jumps out at me is Chastain. Three top sevens on the road courses uh, at Sonoma, I think Coda and Road America. Uh, The passing numbers, he's been a a solid passer um, on the road courses. And they... Reddick, we, we talked a little bit about Reddick earlier. I think they would be more likely to gobble up the stage points and play it safe that way, whereas I think the 42 knows they got to go for broke now um, in trying to get the win, and I could see them trying to pull some sort of strategy play. David, we had a some Reddick talk. No, we've just had some Ross Chastain talk. Who are you looking at? The, those are the two picks that I have too, and, <laughs> and specifically with Ross Chastain, Compared to Reddick, weirdly, I think he can win a road course race right now. And mind you, RJ mentioned the passing numbers. That's not new. He was a top road course passer in Cup before this year. The question, of course, was whether his ability to pass for position in the back half of a field with a premium motorsports car, uh, whether that would translate to the front of the field. And that has been answered. It clearly does. Chastain is a good road racer. And Chip Ganassi is about to sunset this operation, uh, one that is competent on road courses. And RJ, I like your your style here. Phil Surgeon, Chastain's crew chief, has taken big swings all year, mostly to no avail. It's a large net positional loss as we speak. Um, these, these massive losses on green flag pit cycles, but they are understood losses. There is a method behind Phil Surgeon's madness. And as dumb as this sounds, this is going to be the most talking head point that I'll, I'll make on this episode. It only takes one time for this to go right. This team and this driver have essentially trained all year for a shock victory. It just has not happened. Good choices there from both of you. But when I look at this one driver, his best finishes of the year come at road courses. Maybe he doesn't have the speed you'd like. What about Chase Briscoe? His best two finishes, RJ, you were mentioning tracks that are new, that have practice, that have qualifying. Chase Briscoe's best finishes are Road America and Dakota. Tracks similar to what they'll see in Indy in terms of having practice, having qualifying. Why not some Chase Briscoe love? I, I mean, it's not a bad thought, Alan. Um, I, again, I would kind of point to Indy and and 
with qualifying and, and practice and whatnot. And he's actually already run that layout from last year's Xfinity race. So he may have a, a little bit of a leg up on some guys. And, and that was a talking point at Road America is how how some drivers felt that guys that had run Xfinity recently had a little bit of a leg up uh, on that road course. So I don't think you're off base there. Uh, they're they're making some strides. I would still take Chastain or Reddick over him, but I don't think that's an off base pick at all, Alan. Good to hear. How about you, David? <laughs> a little Chase Briscoe love. Hey, look, winning is hard, right? Especially for a rookie. They don't have the speed, but if we're talking about you know potential shocks in the next five races and someone who would need to do something for that, uh, that that screams the fourteen car for me. Yeah, but you said that he don't he doesn't have the speed, and and that is a really big problem. That's a lot of heavy lifting that you're asking a rookie to do. A rookie, by the way, who doesn't actually have a positive surplus value on road courses with a crew chief who has a negative positional net <laughs> on road courses. So I would I would say that while yes, I mean the 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 moniker of Chase Briscoe was Carl Edwards with a road course acumen and I think that that is fair it's not, we're not going to see that for a little while. Everything has to catch up with his ability. Maybe practice helps that. Right. I don't know. But to to think that he is going to emerge specifically at Indianapolis, and it is a track that he won at last year. If he Is he going to emerge a surprise victor? I think we're asking for a lot from a team that we, we really haven't seen those machinations from yet. All right, David being the wet blanket over here. I get it. I get it. But, all right. Let, so we've covered the normal tracks. We've covered the road courses. That leaves one big show at the end of the regular season. Yes, we know what it is. Daytona. Daytona put on a terrific show last year. And William Byron, remember, he, he went in on the cut line, likely in need of a win. He came through in the clutch. Now, granted, there are a lot of drivers that could conceivably win this race. That's what we always say about tracks like Daytona. But who do you think will win? Mo who do you you know is most likely to win, and why, David? Uh, you know, two names that I don't know that folks are thinking about, but Eric Almarola, Austin Dillon, they were your Daytona qualifying race winners from this past February, and I don't know how much stock anyone puts into those races, but from where I sit. I certainly do, because it's one of those things that if it looks like a duck and it sounds like a duck, it's most likely a duck. Well, if it appears to be a strong race car in the qualifying race at Daytona with a driver making good and ultimately winning decisions, I think that counts for something, right? So I, I do feel good about both of those teams and then probably from a wider perspective, the organizations, uh, Alan, you pointed out earlier this year, Kevin Harvick was thrilled with the speed of his four car, uh, in his qualifying race leading into the Daytona 500. So Stuart Haas as a whole RCR as a whole. And as long as we're thinking about organizations, I'm kind of thinking about Bubba Wallace because oh. it, it's, it's really tough to argue against his quote unquote lead out, so to speak, uh, drafting with these JGR cars. The only thing that I don't like about any of the Toyotas getting together, it's not just Bubba, but it's the numbers game. Uh, if these races go caution free for large chunks, and that means green flag pit cycles, that's how Toyota lost the Daytona 500 uh, in, in all intents and purposes. So in that sense, Bubba is outnumbered. 
So is Denny Hamlin for that matter, but because that's why he's not, uh, did you see a social media? That's why he's not unloading car number four into his personal <laughs> garage trophy after the show that he put on in February. The Toyotas don't have the numbers for that kind of race, but for everything else, um, I, I, I kind of like what they've been able to do, not just this year, but in recent years. Yeah, for me, Bubba, I, mean, that was, I had it down here. I didn't know who you guys were going to mention, but this is obviously Bubba's best and final chance to make the playoff. But I think he could legitimately be a contender. We saw what he did in the 500. RJ, how about you? I mean, when it comes down to this regular season finale, he put on a show last year. Uh, what, what do you think of the prospects this year? I am gonna, I'm going to go a little off the board with my picks. Uh, I'm going to take the JTG teammates, uh, Priest and Stenhouse. Uh, Ricky, I mean, he's got, he's got the two super speedway wins. He's either going to win or wreck trying. Um, and so there's a lot of volatility there. He's he's either going to finish in the top five or in the bottom five, but, uh, Priest just, he seems to have, he's one of these guys. He seems to just have a knack for being around at the end of these races. And it's one of those, he's riding in the back, he's riding in the back and you look up and with three to go, he's sitting six. Um, so I, he's got four top tens. In 10 Daytona Talladega starts, I, I we've already had one really wild card winner in McDowell who kind of had a knack for the same thing at Daytona, um, where he would be around at the end and get the finishes. So I'm going to go off the board with Priest pulling a surprise. A non-chartered car yes. making the playoffs if he wins. That would be a wild card. But I did like your picks as well. Uh, I, Dylan was was on my list. Of, of guys in, in part because of the duels and just he's another one he run he typically runs very well at Daytona as opposed to, to Dega and seems to usually be around uh, when it matters all right good picks there I mean again the, the what NASCAR did putting that Daytona race at the end I, I think it does get the drama that they w- would hope for and I believe it will again because it'll only get crazier as those laps wind down we certainly saw it last year but RJ, for you, uh, you do so much good work on the fantasy front. You know, people trying to get as many points as possible. Uh, you know, maybe get, get some more money in their bank account if they're looking to make wise decisions when it comes to uh, people who are going to do good at these races. Who are your go-to name drivers in the remaining races? Uh, you know, especially these fantasy live games like on NASCAR.com. Drivers who may not have uh, players who haven't used 100% of their starts yet. Who are some of the big names that, you, that you're looking for these next five races that you can really get some value out of? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this by saying um, most people, I'm sure you're in the same boat, Alan, are probably down to like one or two Larson, Hamlin, Kyle Busch uses. Um, and you're probably also saving Elliott for the road courses, potentially looking at Truex for those, although I would use Truex at New Hampshire. Uh, given his 750 stats, and he just runs that track really well, minus the fact he doesn't have a win. He always seems to be in the top five of late there. Uh, the biggies I'm looking at that have been a lower usage for me are I'm still sitting on a bunch of Blaney uses, um, so I'm going to be trotting him out at New Hampshire. He's a good road racer, so I'm probably going to have him in for at least one of those. He's got good numbers at Michigan, so he'll probably be in there. And if I'm still sitting with him for Daytona, I'll probably throw him in there. I'm, I kind of take the approach with the Daytona finale of I'll figure that out the week of and not really budget uses for. I'll just see who I have left and plot from there. Um, Bowman is another guy I still have a couple of uses with. And given the Hendrick, he's the one Hendrick guy I have more than one or two uses on. Um, 
So he'll be a guy kind of plug and play to try and take advantage of their hot their hot streak. Uh, and we talked about him earlier, but Redick, uh, mm-hmm. I, I won't go as far as to say he's an automatic on the road courses, but if he is in the starting spots he's been in for Coda and uh, Road America, I, I think you got to plug him in there because they've shown you the playbook. They're going for points. And, and Alan says this on the fantasy videos every week. This game's about points, points, points. Boom. <laughs> I listen now. And, and, and you, if it's about points, 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 and the A team's shown you the playbook of what they're going for, to me, that's a no brainer. Those are the little differences, though. Like knowing when to start Tyler Reddick, right? He's having a good year, but when it comes to fantasy gaming anyway, it's all about starting him at the right time for the right race. And it's been tough. He is one of those drivers where it is difficult. He doesn't come to top of mind, but there is value if you can pick out one of, Basically, you have to pick out one of Tyler Reddick's nine best races and know when to start him, right? So will one of those come in the next five at the two road courses? Uh, I think that's a good gamble. I like that, RJ. It, yeah. is it, it's so wild that, that we talked at the beginning of the season about RCR potentially struggling on road courses. And not only have, have they not done that, they have a bona fide road course driver at the very least from a fantasy perspective <laughs> in a driver that we didn't expect right for with with Tyler Reddick uh, I mean kind of amazing that how how far that they have come and Reddick specifically has come on road courses this year I, I the thing I kind of liken him to a little bit and uh, you know Joey Logano and Wolf since they've been paired together they've kind of run the same playbook where they are they are making an effort to gobble up all the points uh, and it, it seems like Randall Burnett and Tyler Reddick have, have kind of picked that up from them. So, you know, across fantasy sports, there are, oh, we'll say good performers right on the field or on the court or on the racetrack, but they might not be good for your fantasy lineup or or have underperformed their fantasy lineup. Is there a parallel right now in NASCAR? Are there any named drivers who have either underperformed outright or just underperformed in fantasy this year relative to what they've actually accomplished? Uh, So the outright one, I would would go Keselowski. Um, Mm -hmm. I know Harvick probably feels like the low-hanging fruit, uh, and I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um... I guess when I look, you look at Kozlowski's season last year, and they were Penske as a whole, but the two teams specifically were beasts on the 750 tracks. Uh, they they stomped the field at Richmond. They had a good win at New Hampshire. They ran well at both Phoenix races. It just felt like the 750 package. They had found something, and they were they had hit on it, and it was going to carry over, and it just. I mean, there's, you know, you can talk about some of the silly season stuff potentially playing a role, um, but it just feels like they've they've missed the boat on the 750 tracks. Uh, Points-wise, it shows. I think he's got the 15th most points on the 750 tracks wow. uh, on non-road courses. So, so take the road courses out, just the 750 ovals. Uh, he's got the 15 most points, which... To me, if you had told me that in February, I would have laughed and said, there's no way that's possible. And some of it's been in besides the 750 tracks, he's had he's good at Atlanta. He's good at Darlington. And those were races where he just I know he got a top 10 last week at Atlanta, but he wasn't really a factor. Um, 
it, it, he, he finished in the top 10 at the end of the day, but he wasn't really up front uh, much of the day, if any of the day. And then they've had some weird pit stuff like that Richmond where they stayed out, everybody pitted, and then he got swallowed up on old tires uh, over the course of a run where they had speed prior to that. And it kind of went out the window when they stayed out. Um, he, so he's, he's been just a weird one to figure out. And I would say he's probably my biggest underperformer. Another one that's been a little weird. I mean, he's got the wins, uh, but Bowman's kind of been a little bit of a seesaw too in fantasy. And he, he's a little bit of a hard to quite figure out where to use them type of guy. Yeah, I agree there. Again, another one of those drivers where it's you get nine starts out of them, but when you're playing Fantasy Live, it's like, when do you start exactly Alex Bowman, right? There, there's no few and far between where they're automatic starts for, for the 88 car or the 48 car, I'm sorry. And uh, I agree with you there. Yeah, I mean, we another one, I guess, would be Blaney is a little bit of the seesaw like Bowman um, in that his – his performances when he's on, they're really good and he'll roll off those like 35, 40 point races and chunks. And then he'll just have three or four in a row where you're just kind of like, what the heck's going on, man? Like, could, could I pick any worse races? Um, but, but I would, I would stick with those three probably in those categories. All right. Well, we have five more races to go. If you're a fantasy live player, which I hope you are, I hope you're watching fantasy live on NASCAR.com. I hope you're reading RJ's work. RJ Kraft, thank you so much for joining us here on Positive Regression once again and giving us your insight on what should be a, a final five-week uh, stretch of uh, pretty good stuff for before we hit the playoffs. Appreciate you guys having me. Again, good stuff from RJ there, and we touched a little bit on New Hampshire, but we'll go into our full preview now because, David, we only go to New Hampshire once now, right? We only I'm a New England guy, kind of my home NASCAR track. It's the rare one-mile track it's flat it doesn't really compare to anything else on the schedule so as we like to do here on positive regression we, we do look for the things that matter we try to answer that question when you look at new hampshire what it could tell us maybe bigger picture if anything what does matter can we point to anything relevant that we can look at when we are previewing new hampshire what matters is just it's just a great racetrack what what, what else has to matter it's, it's <laughs> one mile perfect size uh, but no, uh, look, if we look at last year's race, the fastest car won the race. The second fastest car finished second. And in that sense, it's a straightforward race. There is a lap time fall off of about 1.2 to one and a half seconds on worn tires. But for the most part, unless there is a, a fuel mileage run to end this thing, strategy really shouldn't interfere too much. The restarts are relatively even enough. The disparities last year closed up uh, to a point, 62% to 55% favoring the outside groove. Hmm. So, yeah, and, you know, look, every race is a track position race, but at New Hampshire specifically, uh, a fast pit stop, a good pit stop can't just throw someone out in clean air and see them aero block because when restarts are that tight, there's going to be a little more to it. There's more going on. So you talked about this being a flat track and that makes it interesting. Uh, That and the fact that it's a 750 track, we might see a team Penske car 
or a Joe Gibbs racing car, come to the surface and help me out. I can't recall the last race where we went into it thinking that maybe probably Martinsville or Mm -hmm. Richmond. And it strikes me that there was a synergy between Richmond and New Hampshire last year. RJ talked about it. Brad Keselowski was the shared winner. Two completely different racetracks, same rules package. So there might be something to that. All right. Well, I mean, at least something to consider because there are connections, right? Because, our, again, RJ, you, like you said, talking about the playoff implications, but the success at New Hampshire, you know, last year, I think it did matter, you know, in terms of what it could tell us. I, I believe, if correct me if I'm wrong, David, I mean, Brad Keselowski wins the race in that car. That's the same car he would go on to later win yet another race later on, I believe, Richmond, and then bring that undefeated car to Phoenix where yep. it was the fastest car and he lost the championship by one position and or a bad pit stop. So getting back to the New Hampshire side of things, you know, playoff implications, maybe we can learn a lot or be able to take something away from the results of Sunday's race. I don't know if our sample size on that is reliable because as you said, everything that you said is true. Hmm. It, it all, it all uh, went together for Brad Keselowski, but was that a case of this flat one mile track in New Hampshire mattering more or translating better than we think it might? Or did Keselowski just have an absolute beast of a race car? Because I don't know that it's entirely clear. Chase Elliott, we think about Look, race 35 and race 36, Martinsville and Phoenix, he was a a pretty stout runner and winner in those races. At New Hampshire, he finished ninth. Uh, It's fine, but nondescript compared to what we saw from him in those other two races and at Darlington, uh, the first race of last year's playoffs that he very nearly won. So... It worked for Keselowski. I don't know that it's going to work for everyone. If anything, performance on Sunday might be an indicator of the overall strength of an organization's 750 program, but also, uh, you know, a low key top 10 finish. You don't mash the panic button. It's not something that takes you out of the running for uh, the title conversation because New Hampshire is its own track and we've seen drivers just kind of float in, float out, and then dominate later on in the playoffs. All right. So no, no panicking or don't read too much in. Uh, but I do like the one race, the one, the one season sample size from last year did tell a hell of a story. So we'll see if that plays out again, but I see what you're saying. Uh, the next question, it it was an, it's an interesting one you brought up, David, you, you wrote this down. Who needs this to be a good race? Again, something of an outlier, right? It's a one mile flat track, unlike many others, but Maybe we can take something away from it. Who needs this to be a good race? And David, I can make a case for nearly everyone in the field, especially a lot of the <laughs> top drivers. Uh, I wrote a lot of things down. Uh, first of all, I'll go with any Ford, right? Fords have okay. not won. Fords have not won since Brad Keselowski, Talladega. That's almost three months ago. So yeah. we, we know what's going on with the Stuart Haas cars, but Penske as a whole, 
I mean, no victories for them. And again, going back to a track where Kislowski and or, I don't know if, you know, it wasn't all the Fords, but it was at least Brad Kislowski uh, has proven he has something at least last year. So you would think, you know, that they can get it done again, maybe. So I would think they have a lot to prove, um, you know, and then, Look, I wrote Hamlin. He's been, by his standards, out to lunch. We were talking with him, you know, in Atlanta. Uh, you know, a bad run for him is, what, sixth or seventh? But that's still not where he was, right? Losing the regular season points lead or being at least in a battle with Kyle Larson for that. Uh, he's got to go out there and prove something on a track that he's done before. Uh, I could make the argument for the Hendrick cars, right, who have shown just enormous, enormous 550 strength, winning and speed, all that stuff. But we've talked about it on the pod before. How much does that matter when it comes to actually winning a championship at a 750 track? Do the Hendrick cars need to show us something? Do they have to prove something to themselves that they've got something that they can compete with come October, November? So, David, I can make a lot of cases for a lot of drivers. And yes to all of that. I think everything you said was was good there and, and a really good point about Hendrick Motorsports. But uh, I'll hit your first answer. Uh, Team Penske. So you mentioned the last win uh, for Ford, but for Penske was Talladega. And if we know that they are specifically geared for 750 tracks, I'm going to argue right now that we kind of need to see whether that's actually an advantage, if there is in fact an advantage in doing that, because we can talk about it. They can claim a focus on 750, but it also might not work. Uh, the, the, the only 750 race they've won this year is the Bristol dirt race. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, one, I don't know that I would have expected that knowing, knowing who drives for them, but also two, that's probably not where they wanted to be. If this is the organization's central focus, uh, frankly, they could have won Martinsville with Ryan Blaney. They could have won Phoenix with Joey Logano. They did not. It would be good to see if this uh, this focus, this sort of paradigm industry shifting focus pays dividends. If it is a dud this weekend, then there might be a problem, especially if they have taken uh, research and development and funding and time away from the bigger tracks to focus on this rules package. So I, I would uh, I'd make them my pick. I think they need this weekend to go very well. Oh, you would make them your pick. Well, then let's get right into it. Our picks to win, David. Who are you going with? Will you go as far as to make them your pick to win this weekend? Nope. Picking Denny Hamlin. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I feel great about JGR. I think there is a crescendo for this organization at the end of this season uh what all of their teams do well and and maybe kyle bush is the hedge uh for 550 but uh the two main playoff contenders from last year hamlin and truex are far far better right now series leaders this year on 750 tracks and for me hamlin's ability to dominate at places like martinsville and richmond apply somewhat to new hampshire He's a three-time winner at New Hampshire, so it suits him, both in general and this year specifically. 
All right, David won't go out on a limb and choose the J, uh, the Penske car, but I will. I am going with Joey Logano. Again, it's all about the 750 horsepower, or performance at least, for me. I know you just laid out some of the potential questions and how uh, the lack of wins is a bit concerning. But look, you want to compare New Hampshire to Phoenix. Well, Joey Logano was second. You want to compare it to Richmond. Joey Logano was third there. He won the 750 race at Bristol, as we mentioned. Sixth at Martinsville. Fifth at Dover. Uh, All the good things you said about Penske, their need, the issues that they have to win, I'm putting it on Joey Logano this week, winning his home track of New Hampshire once again. That's a lot of heavy lifting, but I, I, I like the pick the, the speed the is there part. for that, for that 22 team, right? Like that's, yeah. that's the undeniable thing. Even if they don't win another race before the start of the playoffs, I still feel really good about their championship chances. It's, it's a weird thing to say and probably weird to think and certainly get across to some of our listeners, but it makes sense. I mean, they, they they have focused on the right things and that 22 car more so than the others at Penske have been able to turn that into tangible success on these tracks. All right. Those are our win picks. How about contrarian performers? Maybe an outlier name that could compete for a victory and or just maybe, you know, punch above uh, their, their weight class, if you will. Well, who do you think uh, shows themselves in New Hampshire, David? I'm going to pick Christopher Bell. Oh, uh, me with, too. Woo-hoo. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, so so I'm all in on JGR uh, this weekend. Bell went two for two at New Hampshire in the Xfinity series, and he's uh, been on a 750 lean. Uh, his performance skews towards 750 tracks this season, and that includes road courses. But if you look at what he has uh, going for him right now, he has good initial track position, uh, following an eighth place finish at Atlanta. And even earlier this year on the Ovals, he finished fourth at Richmond. A lot happened in that Richmond race. Not a lot of people recall Christopher Bell's day. It was largely very good. So I, I think he can uh, certainly make that translate to Sunday's race in New Hampshire. Yeah, I agree with everything there. Martinsville, Richmond, Phoenix, all good runs. Top 10 passer on a 750 tracks. Top 10 speed on 750 tracks. Uh, you know, in, in the vein of RJ Craft conversation, a great value fantasy play this weekend, especially if you are in one of the fantasy live games that have limited number of starts, if you will. I know you have not started Christopher Bell nine times this year. It is a great time to start him this weekend. David, I'm glad we agree. Yay, we got one. Yeah, well, hopefully it pans out because otherwise I know. we're going to be we're just going to be pilloried for that. Hey, I did get Kurt Busch last week, though. Yeah, you did. Excellent. Uh, was that was that the first contrarian choice to win a race outright? Probably because uh, I mean, yeah. contrarian picks are tough, but that, that's a big one. So good for you. Oh, yeah, right. that one, pull, pulled that one out. I don't know if I'm going to be able to repeat that ever, but uh, I'll I'll celebrate it now. Hey, one for 110 will get you in the Hall of Fame. So we'll, go, we'll try to go. We'll try to go two for 111 uh, heading this weekend. In New I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think that's how Hall of Fames work. <laughs> hey, we can make up our own rules. It's the podcast, uh, you know, universe out here. So, anyway, good stuff. Another good episode. Episode 111 of Positive Regression. Don't forget, we're available on all major podcast platforms, no matter your device. Our entire back catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're here. Please leave us a rating or a review. Of course, that stuff helps 
spread the word. It really does. And we notice it is so appreciated. The ratings you give us, any comments you leave, it's awesome to see. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. We'd love to answer them. Reach out on Twitter at PosRegPod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. Sometimes we even do a whole episode of your questions. Love doing that. David, you're always working hard. What do you got this week? This week on NBC Sports, I analyzed uh, Denny Hamlin's season to date, looked into why he isn't winning or or hasn't won uh, to this point in the season and whether it is a problem. And also, volume two of the Motorsports Analytics Prospect Bible is finally out. They were distributed to patrons at the Wendell Scott level earlier this week. It will go on sale for the general public a little later in the summer. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Yeah, support that. Come for the information. Stay for the cool pictures. Uh, I I, I give it my full endorsement there. Uh, David, happy to say I will be in New Hampshire this weekend for PRN in the pits for both the Xfinity Series race and the Cup Series race. So that'll be fun uh, to, to be there for that. So make sure you listen however you can listen to PRN on Sirius, on the app however you want before that make sure you watch nascar fantasy live uh and set that lineup before the green flag on sunday we'll give you some good value and some good tips on this week's episode and of course keep it on my twitter feed at alan kavana because we will set up the entire weekend with our quick hit segment brought to you by speed sport uh you know get you set for the entire spectrum of racing coast to coast north to south Dirt, two wheels, all sorts of stuff. Good episode this week, so make sure you check that out. Thank you, as always, for listening to Positive Regression. Thank you to RJ Kraft of NASCAR.com for joining us. And David, thank you for all the knowledge. This has been episode 111 of Positive Regression. We'll see you next week. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.